right. If you got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Ephesians 5. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to be moving around a lot in Scripture. Uh, and if you have an ability to take notes, get that out. Whether that's a notes app, a sheet of paper, something, because I've got a ton of information for you today. Uh, I'm going to get to teach on some really exciting stuff. We're going to talk today about eight types of prayer. Eight biblical types of prayer. So we've been talking throughout this series, Awakening to the Power of Prayer, about how prayer impacts me, about how prayer impacts the world around me when I intercede. We looked at last week some very practical things about how to pray, five attitudes, and two actions we need to take when we pray. So hopefully you've been empowered to pray. Hopefully you've been spending that extra five minutes a day in prayer, which we're extending that challenge to you uh, one more week as we finish out this series. But today I want to show you eight types of prayer. The reality is the Bible has ordained for us to have different prayers. And so we encourage you as a believer to set aside some time for prayer. When you set aside that time, you're probably going to cover some different bases. You may be familiar with like the ACTS method where we start with adoration, we have confession, we have thanksgiving, and then what we call supplication, asking God for things. So those four things. I think it's a great method. I think it's a really important thing to have some time set out, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where you're really going to go in depth in prayer. But the reality is, we saw last week, God tells us to pray without ceasing, right? To stay in an attitude of prayer. And one way we can do that is by understanding these different kinds of prayer. So that, man, when something comes up, when something pops, in any of these directions, man, we can go and just have this one individual specific prayer where we're going to do this thing, cover this topic, address this aspect. Uh, and so we're going to look today at these eight different types of prayer. We're going to move pretty quickly, uh, but we'll spend a little bit more time on a few of them. I think one, seven, and eight we'll probably spend the most time on if things go according to plan. So here we go, starting out the first kind of prayer, the first type of prayer is one we've already exercised this morning. It's the prayer of thanksgiving. The prayer of thanksgiving. So I'm going to give you a couple sub points on this prayer. Uh, most of them will just have one sub point, but this one will go into to two. So the prayer of thanksgiving, A, it keeps me from taking God for granted. Right? Why do I pray the, th the prayer of thanksgiving? Because I don't want to treat God like a genie in a lamp. I don't want to treat God like someone who just does stuff for me, although it is amazing that God is for me. I am grateful that God is for me, but I don't want to treat his grace cheaply. I don't want to treat his blessings cheaply. I want to stay in an attitude of gratitude towards him. And the prayer of thanksgiving causes me to do that. Now, we all know we've got this holiday in America set aside called Thanksgiving, right? And that's usually when we think of thankfulness. But scripturally, it's ordained for us to be thankful all the time. To constantly have an attitude that says, God, I'm grateful. To count our blessings and to see what God's doing in our life. To make that conscious in our minds. Ephesians 5.20 says this. He tells us to always give thanks to God the Father for everything. Everybody say everything. It's a long list, isn't it? Uh, so what is he saying? He's not saying literally think through every possible thing. He's saying, man, everything that God's blessed you with. Man, be thankful for it. That vehicle, that air conditioning, that education, that friendship, that relationship, that church, that leader, that mentor, that, that family, that whatever it may be, that financial blessing. Man, that we need to be thankful for all of it. 
right? And, and so we're going to give God thanks in everything we face. So A, it keeps me from taking God for granted. B, it helps me enter into God's presence. What does the prayer of thanksgiving do? It, it accesses God's presence for me. And this is really the prayer of thanksgiving and of praise. We could even put that in parentheses, thanksgiving and praise. We already saw the verse, but I'm going to show it to you again. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You want to experience the presence of God one way that God has ordained for you to experience his presence is just to show up with thanksgiving, is to show up with praise, that God actually manifests in our lives. His presence magnifies and intensifies. The reality is he's already there, right? The reality is that if you're a believer, his spirit is already in you, and yet so often we're unaware of what he's up to. So often we don't experience him. We're, we're not hearing him. But the Bible says, man, if we'll enter his courts this way, we're going to experience his presence. We're going to hear from him when we pray the prayer of thanksgiving and of praise. And so one of my best friends in the world is great at this. Uh, he, he lives this out. Every day I get to hear him pray the prayer of thanksgiving. So I've asked him to join us and help us with this this morning. So would you welcome Judah Souten to the stage? Come on up, buddy. For those who don't know, this is my firstborn son, Judah, and my firstborn child, actually. He is six years old. He turns seven here in just a couple of weeks. In fact, I think he told me this morning he turns seven in 12 days. Uh, so the countdown is on. Uh, but this guy is a prayer warrior. Uh, I'm so proud of his ability to talk to God. And the number one prayer he prays, in fact, most days, the only thing he covers in prayer is the prayer of thanksgiving. We drive to school, and he's thanking God for things. We, get to, we, we pray over dinner, he's thanking God for things. We pray before bed, he's thanking God for things. So we decided to ask him to come up here and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. So Judah, introduce yourself, say hi. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> Would you lead us in prayer? Go for it. Hold the mic up. Father God, thank you for the people at first or second service today. And thank you for Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you give it up for Judah? Thank you, buddy. You can go back to class, buddy. He's headed to Kid City. Uh, very, very simple prayer, right? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God's called us to a childlike faith. You don't have to spend three hours in the prayer of thanksgiving. It can be two things. Thank you for the people who are here. Thank you for thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen, right? It can be very simple. It can be more elaborate. There's times where it should be more elaborate, and there's times where his list is a lot longer. Uh, but it's, it's not something intimidating, it's not something complicated, a six-year-old can do it, right? If a six-year-old can do that, and by the way, he can do it even a little more confidently and boldly when he's not standing on stage in front of a bunch of people. Uh, we rehearsed yesterday, we had him stand on our fireplace, uh, and man, we're like in tears. It was so beautiful and so clear, and then he gets up here and of course is in front of a bunch of people, and it's a, a, a little less, but even at that, I'm so proud, because that's who he is. That, that's authentic. That's the way that Judah rolls. He walks in thanksgiving. And so I want to empower you. You can do it. 
Prayer may seem intimidating to you. It may seem so complicated. You may look at some spiritual leader and think, man, they're so much more eloquent than I am, and they're so much better at talking to God than I am. Who cares? God is not grading your prayers. He is not up there judging your syntax and breaking down how articulate you are. He wants to talk to you. He wants relationship with you, and the best way for us to start that is with the prayer of thanksgiving. So that's the first type of prayer we see today. The second type is the prayer of intercession. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we really covered this two weeks ago. If you weren't here, go back and catch the podcast, watch the video on Facebook. It's there for you, Uh, but it's the prayer of intercession. What is intercession? It allows me to stand in the gap for the needs of others. And there are a number of scriptures that teach us on the prayer of intercession. I'm only going to share one of, you with, one of them with you this morning because, like I said, we covered this in a whole message. But I think it's important to be on the list here. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. Paul, writing to Timothy, this young pastor he's training up, says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So who should I pray for? All people. Right? He says, first of all, for kings and all those in authority. So he's ordained for us to pray for those in authority. When we do church prayer, the last Saturday of every month, we always start by praying for our nation and leaders. We pray for our president. We pray for our president with the Republican president. We pray for our president with the Democratic president. We'll pray for our president one day if a third party takes over. We're going to pray for our leader. Why? Because the Bible has ordained for us to pray for our leaders. Right? We don't just pray for the people we like and pray against the people that we don't. We're going to pray for leaders and all those in authority. Now, when he wrote this, he's writing this to somebody in the Roman Empire who's getting ready to experience the persecution of Emperor Nero. Nero was massively evil. Man hated the church, and yet Paul says, look, we're going to pray for all those in authority right? And so this is the the teaching for us. So intercession is standing in the gap. It's standing in the gap for people who are in authority. It's standing in the gap for everyone in any way. He says, pray for the kings and all those in authorities. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Why does he say that? Because it's really hard to disrespect and slander someone who you're praying for. It just is. If we're talking trash about some government official, that's a pretty good indicator we're probably not praying for them. Because when you begin to pray for somebody, when you begin to intercede for somebody, when you begin to believe God to move in someone's life, to draw that person to himself, man, it's so much easier to honor them and respect them. And so he says, I want you to pray for kings and those in authority so that there will be an impact in your life, that you will live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and in holiness. He goes on, verse 3, he says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. I don't know about you, but I want to please God. He says, when we pray these prayers of intercession, it pleases God our Savior. And I love verse 4. Who wants all people to be saved? And to come to a knowledge of the truth. So he's speaking specifically here of interceding for salvation. Now I can stand in the gap for a number of things, right? I can can pray for somebody's financial situation. I can pray for their relational situation. I can pray for, man, my, my kids when they're taking a test. We can pray for a lot of different things. But Paul now explicitly brings this to interceding for salvation. God wants us praying for the lost. 
He wants us to believe God for salvation. He wants us to bring names before him of people who don't know him. Now, again, he says kings and all those in authority. Nero's on the throne, clearly doesn't know Jesus. Clearly not a follower. And he says, I want you to intercede for these people. Stand in the gap for them that they might receive Jesus. And so as the church, we got to be praying for the lost. Man, we got to have a heart for the lost. I'm a firm believer that our heart should be moved by the things that move God's heart. And one of the greatest things that moves God's heart is the lostness of man. It's the separation of people from relationship with the Father. And so, man, we've got to be interceding. Yes, intercession is more than just praying for salvation. But a piece of our intercessory prayer needs to be praying for those who are lost. The prayer of intercession allows me to stand in the gap for the needs of others. The third prayer we're going to look at today is the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is interceding specifically for the healing of the sick. It's a specific type of intercession. We could put this as a sub-point under intercession, but I think it's important to understand how it's ordained in Scripture. James chapter 5 gives us some instructions on this. He says, is anyone among you sick? He asks the question. He's writing to this church. He says, is anybody among you sick? He says, if there are, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice who he puts the responsibility on here. He doesn't say, if anyone among you is sick, let the elders go and pray for them. He says, if any among you is sick, let them call the elders. In other words, if I'm sick, it's my responsibility to seek prayer, right? People may not know the level of my sickness. People may not know what's going on in my life. So he says, look, if you're sick, I want you to initiate. I want you to take the lead on this. I want you to ask. There is power and humility in you being the one to open up and say, I need something. See, so much of scripture is God teaching us that we are not independent, that we are interdependent on one another. He doesn't just say, if anyone among you is sick, let them come to me and ask and I'll heal them. He actually says, if you're sick, I want to use other people to be a part of your healing process. I think that's very cool. I think that's very powerful. He says, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the oil doesn't heal them. The elders don't heal them. Jesus heals. He is the healer. What is the elder's role? What is the role of the oil? It's simply an act of obedience. It's simply saying, okay, God, this is what you've asked me to do. These are the steps you've ordered me to take. I'm going to take the steps that you've asked me to take. It's simply a surrendering of my will to doing what he's asked us to do. The the elders aren't more spiritual. They don't carry healing fingers wherever they go, right? The, The oil is not some supernatural oil. These are not the tears of Jesus, right? It's just oil. Nothing special about it except we are combining our faith and our obedience with it. And when we do that, God has chosen to use that in this way. This is the prayer of faith. But look what he goes on to say, verse 15 and 16. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say hopefully. It doesn't say if it's God's will, it will make the sick person well. It just says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, I know this is challenging because we've all seen where it didn't make the sick person well, right? And that's hard for our mental abilities to get past, but this is what the Bible says. So when my experience says one thing and the word says something else, I'm going to choose to believe the word. 
I'm going to choose to, to receive what God has said, even though sometimes my experiences may seem to contradict that. He says, the prayer offering of faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So there's an aspect of this where, where forgiveness comes in, I mean, where God's going to move through other people. In fact, he goes on to teach us explicitly in verse 16. By the way, this is a big reason why you need to be in a city group we're going to launch next week. Because you need relationships with other believers. You need other people you can trust and you can confide in. Look at what verse 16 says. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, the, the Roman Catholic Church very famously has this process of confession, right? Where you go and you sit in, in this little room, this little closet, and you tell the priest all of your sins, and the priest forgives your sins. And I think they, they miss it on a couple of levels. doesn't ordain for us to confide in the leadership person. It says confess your, confess your sins to each other, right? But at least they have a system for confessing. Right? They may have missed it in some big ways, but at least they're confessing to somebody. At least they're opening up to somebody. We can look at that and say, you got this, this, and this wrong. But I look at that and say, man, at least you got a piece of it right. Because a whole lot of us don't have any system of confessing to each other. A whole lot of us don't have any opportunity to share with anybody else. And so this is why we need close, intimate, godly relationships. You're not going to come in on Sunday morning and confess to a room of 45 people, some of whom you don't even know their names, right? That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you need some people who are in your life, who love you, who you trust, who have demonstrated their faithfulness to you, that you can up and say, open up and say, look, I'm struggling with this. Look, I blew it. I, I, I went off on my wife last week man, I called her some ugly names, right? You, you need somebody you can trust that you can open up to. You got to have that confession. He says, therefore, go ahead and put that verse back up, verse 16. Uh, he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. An aspect of healing is confession. He ties my healing to my confession. He says there's healing that comes in confessing. Not confessing to him, which is important and we got to do too. But confessing to others. He says that's where I will be healed. He says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So he ordains for the prayer of faith if you're sick to come and have the elders lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. But then he goes on to say, look, the prayer of a righteous person. Who's a righteous person? Not the leaders of the church. Who's righteous? The righteous are the people who have been assigned Jesus' righteousness. That means you. Everybody say, that's me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why are we encouraging you to pray? Because the word says your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are effective. Why does the enemy work so hard to keep us distracted, to keep us distant from God, to keep us busy, to keep us with flow faith? Because he knows if God's people pray, stuff's going to happen. And I think I just said papal, so I am officially Mississippian. I am so sorry. <laughs> Welcome home, thanks. <laughs> the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayer is powerful and it's effective, so we gotta pray. We gotta take advantage of that. We gotta walk in that. The third kind of prayer is the prayer of faith. The fourth type of prayer we're gonna look at today is the prayer of agreement. 
the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement is partnering with another believer in prayer, and that increases the power of my prayer. God has ordained for us to partner with others in prayer. Matthew 18, Jesus says it this way. He says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. There is something supernaturally that happens where when I combine my faith and you combine your faith, that it increases our effectiveness exponentially. They've done studies on, on livestock like oxen and horses, and they've discovered that if you take one horse and attach a cart to it, it can pull so many pounds, that's a horsepower, right? You take another horse, it's got another horsepower, but if you put two horses on the same cart, they can pull more than twice as much. Same thing with oxen. This has been done across multiple kinds of livestock, that there's actually more power when they work together than there is when they work separate. Why did God do that? Because he's trying to teach us something. I believe all the stuff in the natural world is designed to teach us something in the spiritual. And God's teaching us that, yes, you can pull a certain amount of weight, and I can pull a certain amount of weight, but if we come together, we can pull even more. There's an exponential increase in our authority and our power in prayer when we agree together. Now, I would say the prayer of agreement is not simply praying with somebody else. It's praying with faith with somebody else, right? I can grab somebody else to pray with me and they might be completely checked out mentally. They might just be going through the motions. I don't think there's extra power in that. The prayer of agreement is when two people are exercising their faith together, right? We can strap two horses up to a cart. If one horse doesn't move, it's not increasing the power of the other horse. It's actually slowing the other horse down, right? So it's not just dragging somebody else into your prayer, will you pray with me? It's having friends, having godly people in your life that you know, this is a person of prayer, this is a person of faith, this is somebody who believes God, who trusts in God, and I'm going to go recruit them. I'm going to ask them, would you partner in prayer with me? Would you agree in prayer with me? Here's my situation. Here's what's going on. And when you got that person praying with you, it exponentially increases the power of your prayer. That's the prayer of Agreement. The fifth kind of prayer we're going to see today is the prayer of release. The prayer of release. In my experience, this is probably the hardest one. This is releasing my cares to God. It's taking my hands off of it. Back in the 90s, the phrase was, let go and let God. Right? It's catchy. It's clever. It's hard. This is not something I'm good at right? It's releasing my cares to God. First Peter 5 puts it this way in the New Living. It says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The old translation says, cast your cares upon the Right? What, what is a cast? If you go fishing, you're probably better at fishing than I am, but I know enough about fishing to tell you this. you got to cast that line out in the water. What does that mean? It means it can't sit in your hand. You're not catching any fish with the hook in your hand. The hook has to leave. In fact, it has to leave so far that you can't even see it. Fishing is an act of faith right? I'm putting this thing into the water. I don't see what's down there, but I'm believing in faith that this lure, this bait, this thing is going to be effective and something's going to grab a hold of it. Now, if you're me, that faith doesn't pay off very much because I'm a terrible fisherman. But people who know how to fish 
know how to put something on that line and bring something back in. Why? Because they cast it out into the water. So what does it mean to cast my cares? They're gone. I am releasing it. I am not controlling it. I'm not holding on to it. God, I'm giving this thing to you. It's more than I can handle. It's more than I can bear. So I'm taking my hands off of it. I'm letting it get out of my sight. And I'm trusting you that you're going to do something powerful and effective. See, one of the biggest lies we can ever believe is that I can handle this problem on my own. It's one of the enemy's greatest weapons is he tells you, you can handle this struggle on your own, this temptation, this pain, this sickness, this frustration, this relational hurt, this offense, whatever it is, and I'm just going to bottle it up. I'm just going to hold on to it, and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to white-knuckle my way through it, and I'm going to make it okay. And the word of God says, cast all your worries on it, all your cares, give it to him, let go of it. And thus I take my hands off of it, God can't do anything with it. But when I take my hands off of it, he can put his hands on it. And those are the hands that I want carrying my worries. Those are the hands I want carrying my cares. It's the prayer of release. It's letting go and letting God. It's the sixth type of prayer. It's a prayer I believe we all need to pray. The sixth type of prayer is praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying God's perfect will in tongues. And I know this is where stuff gets controversial, and this is where some people say, whoa, what kind of church should we come to today? Uh, So I'm just going to teach what the Word of God says. And I hope and I pray that you would receive from the word and understand the word and allow the word to speak. You may have seen this abused. I have. You may have seen this done very weirdly, very poorly, very unbiblically. I have. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because somebody's done it wrong or somebody's done it in the flesh or somebody's been disobedient in the way they did something doesn't mean we reject what the word of God says. And the Word of God teaches us about the power of praying in the Holy Spirit. By the way, we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, not next, but the next series after that. So in October, we're going to talk about this and really unpack it, because we don't have time to really go in depth on this today. So if you're like, whoa, what am I getting into? Just just hold on till October. Give me four weeks through that series to hear what the Word of God says, and then you can make your decision at that point. But I think it's important to address this here. Because this is a kind of prayer that God has ordained for his people. 1 Corinthians 14.2, Paul says this, writing to the Corinthians. He's writing to correct the Corinthians because what's happening in the church in Corinth is they show up and everybody starts speaking in tongues. And it's chaos and it's weird. He says, look, if an unbeliever comes into your midst, they're like, these people are crazy. I'm not, I'm not coming back. So he's correcting them in the way that they are praying in the spirit, but he's not telling them to stop. He's saying you need to do it the right way. So 1 Corinthians 14, 2, he says this. He says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So if you receive what we would call a prayer language, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you have the ability to pray in tongues, you have the ability to pray God's perfect will in a language that you don't understand, Uh, And that gives you access to praying his perfect will. I'm so grateful that I have had this ability. Paul says later in 14, 1 Corinthians 14, that the person who prays in tongues edifies himself. They build themselves up. 
Uh, he says that it doesn't build up the church. That's why I don't get up here and start praying in tongues, right? Because it makes me stronger, but it's not going to do any good for you to hear me pray in tongues. There's no benefit for you. You're going to tune out very quickly. At, at, wor- at best, you're going to tune out. At worst, you're going to write this place off and say, nope, I'm out, right? It doesn't do anything for you if I get up here and start praying in tongues. So I'm not going to get up here and start praying in tongues, but I'll tell you this. I pray in tongues almost every Sunday morning, standing right there. You don't hear it. But I want to get on this stage as close and as tuned with the Holy Spirit as I possibly can. I want to be as built up as much as I possibly can. I want to cover God's perfect will for our church, for our service. I don't know what distraction the enemy wants to bring. I don't know what technical difficulty the enemy wants to bring. I don't know what thing, man, could, could throw me off or get me off track or what rabbit my flesh is going to want to tr- chase that I don't need to chase, right? So I want to be praying God's perfect will over our service. I want to pray God's perfect will over my kids, over my wife, over our our family, and the prayer in the Spirit enables me and empowers me to do that. I don't know what I'm saying, but God does. He knows what's coming in my life. He knows what challenges I may face, and so he's given me the ability to pray his perfect will. We're going to pick that conversation back up in October. I look forward to it very, very much. We get to talk about the Holy Spirit. The seventh type of prayer we want to look at today is the prayer of consecration. The prayer of consecration. This is the prayer that submits my will to God's will. This is the prayer that's very famously modeled for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, my Savior, is about to die. He's about to take nails in his wrists, thorns in his skull, whips in his back. He's about to carry the weight of the depravity of my sin. And as he faces the most painful, excruciating, difficult thing any human being has ever gone through, he goes to his dad and he says, hey, is there a plan B? Is there another way for us to do this? I love this scene in Jesus' life because it's so real. It's so authentic. He is wrestling with what he's about to go through. Matthew chapter 26 We'll pick up the story in verse 39. It says, going a little further, he, he being Jesus, fell on his face to the ground. What we say about bowing, you're lowering yourself, you're submitting yourself, you're recognizing someone is greater than you. Even Jesus prayed on his face. If Jesus prayed on his face, I think I need to be getting on my face. I need to be bowing. I need to be humbling myself in my posture in prayer. It says, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Dad, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can save people, if there's any other way we can restore humanity back to you, if there's any other way where I don't have to go through this, I don't want to go through this yet, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, in a moment of authentic humanity, says, I really don't want to do this, but I am submitted to your will. I am submitted to what you want. What an amazing and beautiful prayer. I want to give you two situations for the prayer of consecration, two things that we see. This is when to apply this prayer. This is when to pray, God, not my will, but your will be done. This is when to pray, God, let your will be done, or God, if this is your will, Here's the situation. The first is, just like Jesus, when you're struggling to submit to God's will. 
when there's something in your flesh that says, look, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I really don't want to do it. God, I know I'm supposed to get up and go serve today, but man, I want to stay in the bed, right? God, God, I know I'm supposed to give, but I just don't see the numbers adding up. God, I know I'm supposed to save myself for marriage, but man, my girl is hot, right? Like, like it's when you're struggling to line up what your life is going through, your challenge, your temptation, your difficulty with what the word of God says. God, this is what I want, but not what I want. Let your will be done. The second situation to pray the prayer of consecration is when you don't know what God's will is. Right? For, for example, when, when I first went out and started applying for jobs, 16 years old, I applied 13 places in one day, got zero phone calls. Rejection. Right? It stung a little bit. So, so I, I regrouped and I regathered and, and I focused in the second time on three places. I picked out the three places I most wanted to work that I thought were the, the best situations for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to believe God one of these is going to come through. So I went and applied to three of those places. Two of them hired me. On the same day, I got hired by one, like 30 minutes later, I get called and hired by the other one. And so now I went from zero jobs to too many jobs, right? So I had to figure out which one of these am I going to do. And I'll tell you that the first place that hired me was Taco Bell. The second place that hired me was Wendy's. Uh, and so I had to sort through what, which one of these is the best situation for me. So I had to pray God's will. And I ended up choosing Taco Bell because Taco Bell, both of them would allow me to have Sunday mornings off, but Wendy's would not allow me to have Wednesday nights off. And Taco Bell allowed me to have Wednesdays so I could stay connected in my youth group. And so I chose Taco Bell for that reason. Now, I had no idea the, the, the things that God was going to teach me at Taco Bell. I spent, I spent four years at Taco Bell. I ate way too many burritos, way too many nachos. But God used me to witness to so many people in that place. God opened so many doors for me to be used by him. Why? Because I surrendered to his will. I said, God, which place am I supposed to be at? And he spoke and he directed me. The prayer of consecration is powerful, it's important, it's, it's significant. However, if we're not careful, we'll grab the prayer of consecration and we'll bring it into a prayer where it doesn't belong. Let me give you an example. You don't ever need to pray, God, if it's your will, bring salvation to my child. Because we know it's his will. We saw it in Scripture. God is not willing that any should perish, but he wants everyone to come to salvation. You see, God's word is his will. And so when God's word tells us something, we don't have to pray, God, if it's your will. We don't have to pray God's will on healing. Because the word of God says that by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. And that's in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, 1 Peter grabs that verse and quotes it in reference to physical healing. So we can super spiritualize it. And yes, I believe there's spiritual healing that he wants for us, which is even greater. But Peter explicitly says, this is about your physical healing. That's a promise of God. I don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, bring healing into my life. He wants me to be well. He wants me to be healed, right? We, we recognize that God's will is done in heaven. Jesus prays, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nobody's sick in heaven. So I can infer that nobody's sick in heaven. That means God doesn't want anybody sick down here. That's not his will. So I can pray. I don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, heal grandma. Right? Now, does God heal in every situation? No. And that's his decision and his business. And we can sort that out later. But I can pray with boldness and confidence. God, I believe this is your will. And because it's your will, bring healing. I don't have to pray, God, if I'm unemployed and I'm the head of the household, I'm the provider. I don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, help me find a job. Because the word of God says, if you don't work, you don't eat. 
right? He, said, he says, as the head of the household, it's my responsibility to provide for my family. So I don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, open a door for me to get a job. God, help me to find the right job, right? Help, help me to be at the right place. So, so we don't need to apply the prayer of consecration in places it doesn't belong. God, if it's your will, help me find a church. I don't have to pray that. It is God's will for you to find a church. It is God's will for you to plug into a church. It is God's will for you to serve in a church. It is God's will for you to worship in a church. That is God's will. His scripture makes it very clear you need a church. So I don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, help me find that, right? We could apply this to a million different things. We don't have to pray, God, if it's your will, set me free from this temptation, from this bondage, from this habit, from this addiction. If I know that it's sin, if I know that it's not something that God wants in my life, I know it's his will for me to be free. So what happens when I pray the prayer of consecration, when I already know God's will is for that thing, is I'm bringing doubt and confusion into my own prayer. And remember what we saw last week, that, that if we ask God for anything, we should believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the ocean tossed by the wind. So don't bring the prayer of consecration where it doesn't belong. It's powerful and it's important. Bring it where it does belong. But man, if you know the will of God, if the word, if the word of God has laid out for you his will, you don't have to say, God, if it's your will, let this person meet Jesus. It's his will. He's laid it out. We know it's his will. He's called for us to intercede for all people so we can pray boldly and passionately for it. Amen? Amen. Lastly, and I was going to stop here. My original message had seven. I had to go back and add this in. God asked me to put this in this morning. One of my favorites, and I think we got to cover it. It's the sun stands still prayer, number eight. The sun stands still prayer is believing God for big things. In Joshua chapter 10, we find one of my favorite stories in Scripture. In fact, it's such a great story that Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation in Charlotte, uh, he wrote a book about it. I taught a series on it a number of years ago. We're going to just barely scratch the surface of this. But I want to show you this because it's, it's amazing. It's audacious. In Joshua 10, verse 12 and 13, the, the Israelites are in a battle. They're in a war. Uh, and in the midst of this battle, Joshua does something insane. Verse 12. It says, on the day that the Lord gave the Ammonites over to Israel, excuse, uh, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. He asked God to stop the universe. Joshua didn't even know what he was asking. He didn't even understand that the sun didn't rotate around the earth, the earth rotated around the sun. He didn't even know how it worked, which, by the way, you don't have to know all the details of how it works. Just ask God for what you need. He'll fill in the blanks. God takes out his galactic remote control, and he pauses everything. See, not only is the earth rotating around the sun, not only is the earth rotating on an axis, not only is the moon rotating around the earth, but the entire Milky Way galaxy is zooming through space right now. God stops it all. To answer one person's request, people on the other side of the world in China are like, yo, where's the sun at? Right? It didn't come out. I'm pretty sure. I guess I get to sleep longer today. I don't know. Maybe he gave them some supernatural sleep. He changed everything for one person's audacious, crazy, ridiculous, unscientific request. It's the God we serve. It's insane, and it's amazing. We said last week we need to pray bold prayers. What's the sun stand prayer? It's a bold prayer. It's believing God for something big, for something ridiculous, for something that could not happen unless God did it. And we serve a God who is able 
and who is willing to move mightily in our behalf in that way. Amen? Let me show you very, very, very quickly three keys to a sun standstill prayer. This is going to be quick bullet points. I don't have time to teach on each of these. But if you want to pray a sun standstill prayer, if you need something big for God to move in your life, here's the three keys. Number one, pray with audacity. Pray big, right? He, he, he didn't just say, God, give us victory today. And let God fill in the details. He told God exactly how he wanted it to happen, and it was nuts, and God did it. Pray with audacity. Pray big. Something that you could not do on your own. Secondly, pray with accuracy. We could, we could say with specificity. He told God exactly what he wanted, right? So, so, so often we pray these very vague prayers. God, just be with me today. How do you even measure that, right? By the way, he's already with you. But, but how do you even know if God answered that prayer? God, just, just bring encouragement today. Man, he prayed a specific prayer. He knew, and he said he prayed it in the presence of all of Israel. So if God didn't show up in this way, everybody's looking at Joshua like, you know, accurately. He detailed exactly what he wanted from God. And third, pray with action. If we go back in the story, just a, a couple of verses before, it said that they marched all night out to the battlefield. So they didn't just ask God to show up and defeat the Ammonites, and they stayed back in Jerusalem. They did their part. They put action behind it. You see, I believe very firmly that God will do what only he can do, but he will not do that which I can do. He's not going to do it for me. He'll do what only he can do. That's the supernatural part. That's the audacious part. That's the part that, that, that is amazing and incredible and miraculous, but he's not just going to do that. He's going to actually ask me to play a part. When we look in scripture, time and time and time again, God partners with people. Somebody wants healing. God tells Naaman, okay, you want to be healed? I need you to go and, and bathe in the River Jordan seven times. Did the River Jordan heal him? No. God healed him, but he said, I want you to play a part. God could have just spoken and healed him of leprosy right then and there, but he chose for him to have a role, to submit to that thing. Time and time and time again, God chooses to give us a role. The, the widow in 2 Kings, she's running out, of, she, she's broke, she's got just a little bit of oil. The prophet tells her, go collect as many pots as you can and then start pouring. And she pours that little bit of oil and it multiplies and she fills up all the pots and she's able to sell the pots and pay off her debt and keep her kids. He could have just put money supernaturally at her house, right? Isn't that what we want? Man, a check will show up in the mailbox. In Jesus' name, right? We're, we're, we're sitting there praying for God to, to give us a better job, but we're not applying anywhere. God, open the doors. God's not just going to kick the door down for you. He wants you to play a part, right? Like, God, God, provide, help, God, help, send me a wife. But all I'm doing is playing Call of Duty all night. A bunch of dudes online, there's no wife there, right? She's not just going to show up at your door with the headset saying, can I play with you, right? Like, that's not how it works. We got to put some action behind our prayer. We pray audaciously. We pray accurately. We tell God exactly what we want. But then we put the action behind it because God will do what only he can do, but he will not do what I can do. And that's faith. Having the faith to step out and trust him before the provision, before the miracle, before it happens, I'm going to step out and trust you that you're going to show up, God, that you're going to provide. That's the sun stands still. See, God has ordained for us to pray in all of these different ways. And there's other prayers in Scripture. This is, again, not an exhaustive list. It's a really good start. 
I'm asking you to pray five minutes extra a day this week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick two of these prayers that you're going to focus on in those five minutes. Two that are less significant in your life right now. Maybe you're not praying them at all. Maybe you're just not praying them frequently or commonly. But hey, man, I would say these are not the strengths of my prayer life. Most of us have something natural. That's our strength. Judas' prayer is the prayer of thanksgiving, right? That's his go-to. He's good at it. I'm grateful for it. It's a great one to have your go-to. It's okay to have a go-to. But we want to expand our prayer life. We want to expand beyond just what's easy, what's normal, what's comfortable, what's habitual, and take advantage of all these aspects that God has ordained for us to have. So pick two this week that you're going to focus on in your extra five minutes. Now, you may be like, hey, I'm doing zero of these. You may just pick a different one each day, right? If God takes you a different direction than those two, I'm fine with God taking you a different direction, but I want to at least give you something practical to start with, right? If you don't know where to start, start by picking two and see where God takes it from there. We're going to pray. We're going to awaken to the power of prayer because it's significant because the fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The King James says it availeth much. It accomplishes much. Your prayer is powerful and it's effective. Would you pray with me, church? Lord God, we thank you for prayer. We thank you for your word that has ordained for us to pray, that has laid out for us instructions on prayer. So right now in Jesus' name, God, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice, everyone watching with us online today, God, everyone who's gonna listen to this podcast whenever they, they choose, whenever this comes to them, God, we pray that this message would inspire them, that it would inform them and equip them to, to expand their prayer life. God, that we wouldn't get stuck in a default mode and just, and just a habit of this is the simple way that I pray every single day. But God, we'd push beyond what's comfortable, push beyond what's normal and begin to believe you for more things, for bigger things, for audacious things. God, that we would see you move. So whichever of these prayers your people need to begin adding to their arsenal, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just begin putting your finger on those things in their heart. God, identify for them, this is what you need right now. In this season, in this situation, in this challenge, in this struggle, this is the, the tool that I've given you to fight your way through it. God, let us be people of prayer, people whose prayers are powerful and effective because you have assigned Jesus' righteousness to us. We thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name.